Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Okay, welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and this is episode 56. Um, we're going to talk a little bit. It's just me today. Didn't have anybody scheduled, or I had somebody scheduled, but it, it got canceled. So figured I had something else to say anyway. I went and did some talks this weekend, and um, and so it just made me want to talk more about it um, on the podcast and had some great conversations. And so anyway, I'm going to talk about it. So uh, today's going to call be called The Digital Age. And so we're going to talk about just directly social media um, pretty heavily today and maybe a little bit of pornography risks as well. Um, but we have several talks on here about that. Um, one of the things I've been doing is going around and talking to teenagers. And so I kind of thought, you know, I know there are some young adults and teens that listen to the podcast, maybe probably way more adults. And so I'm going to try to talk about it a couple different ways, but could be taken either way. So if you're a parent, listen to this, um, or an adult or grandparent, I hope this information will, allow you to um, talk to your teenager about these things, give you some information to give them. One of the things I've been getting a lot with the talks that I've been doing about technology and social media and pornography and the phone and all the things we're going to talk about today is, you know, when I talk to the kids, they will, um, they'll come up afterward and they'll say, thank you so much for uh, telling us the why and get shooting us straight. And, um, and so I find that a lot of times we as parents will tell kids what not to do, but we don't really ever explain why. And I would say same thing in our culture. We, we focus a lot on the what and, and not a lot on the why. Um, that could be in church. That can be in school. You know, a kid has a behavior problem and we're like, hey, he needs to stop doing this. And we never really stop sometimes to ask why. Why is he losing his temper? Why is he out of control? Why is he sleeping in class? Why is he, you know, getting caught up in X, Y, Z? And so we have to look at the what. And so um, – that starts with kids for especially and us as adults having uh, emotional intelligence. And so a lot of what we're doing with our practice and with the podcast is trying to help people to see that, you know, get past our behaviors and get into the root causes. And in order to do that, we have to, you know, have this kind of EQ, not IQ, not, uh, you know, about books and smarts and research and all these things, but emotionally be intelligent, understand, um, that we have to understand ourselves and have insight. And in scripture, we call that wisdom, right? The wisdom literature and being able to look in ourselves and know uh, why we do what we do. And I think if we look at scripture, Jesus, you know, he wants us to be emotionally intelligent. He wants us to be fully human and reach our full potential in him. And that means mind, body, and spirit. And as a culture, we just kind of shy away from emotions. I think as men, especially when I talk to boys, you know, they're seen, seen as weak if they're vulnerable or honest about their feelings or if they cry or if they, um, you know, like something that's more sensitive or more typically a girl behavior thing. And there was a couple that came up to me a couple of weeks ago and, um, 
you know, talking to me about their, their son and how he likes art and how he likes music and he likes to dance. And, um, the dad was like, you know, I just think that's girly stuff. And so we talked about what made it girly and what it made him feel. And, and by the end, the dad was kind of crying and going, I, I realize I need to get to know why my son likes those things instead of just automatically responding as if they're bad or feminine or whatever. And so, so many times, you know, we respond as adults because we haven't stopped to think, why do I feel this way? Why am I so triggered or upset by my son or my daughter or somebody doing, you know, whatever they're doing? Um, Because Jesus, it was obvious to him and through scripture that our emotions are really important and we need to know how to manage them. We don't want to just shove those away and, and have nothing to do with them. We want to look at them and hold them and say, okay, what's important about this? And and we see that in Jesus, that he wept, that he cried, that he grieved, that he was frustrated, that he was angry, that he avoided things sometimes, um, that he did things differently. And those weren't sinful behaviors, that he had those feelings. It was what we do with those emotions and those feelings that are so important. And so to understand our emotions, we have to understand our brain a little bit and brain development. We have to understand that, you know, and this is a very general way of talking about the brain, but you can think of it kind of like right and left brain. Your right brain is your emotions, um, is art, is science, um, is uh, music, is um, hand gestures. Your left brain is logic, black and white thinking, um, puzzles. So very logical left brain and very emotional right brain. And our prefrontal is our, what is it called, our executive functioning. It gets those things to kind of relate to each other and gets our brain and, and helps us act like adults. And um, when Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, I think he was talking about this. I think he was talking about that we have to learn to rewire our brains and relearn things when we've had trauma in our past or we haven't been discipled in a proper way or we haven't been parented in a way that's healthy. As we become adults, we still have those brains that are kind of back there at 15, back there at 12, back there at 8. Wherever the, the trauma happened or the deficit happened, you know, our brains are still kind of in an immature state and we, we have to go back and, and we have to renew and change and, and build. And we can do that through understanding the brain and understand those processes. Um, but what we have to help our kids understand about the why is like what they're doing right now, they're connecting more synapses and more, they're firing off more wiring and, and whatever you fire off more wires together. And so what they're doing, what they're seeing, what they're exposed to, what we allow them to be exposed to as little kids or teenagers, um, is going to wire their brain for success or failure in the future. And so we're talking about screens today and we're going to talk about, you know, the digital world, but however we're, whatever we're letting our kids do early on is going to make them very dependent one way or the other. And and I think a lot of us, myself included, I have four and seven year old and I can fall into the habit of letting them have too much screen time or letting them play too much switch or, but we want to try to do the right thing seven out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times. We want to, we want to have a structure, a boundary that's set. And then we want to try to hit that all the time. And yeah, there's going to be days where we slip up or we have fun or we, we let it go a little too far. But right now what we're seeing in the culture is that it's always too far and it's always too much. And we need to, to back that up. Or as we see already, our kids are going to have a lot of problems. Um, we've seen, you know, the anxiety and the depression and the self-harm and the suicide rates soar in the last 10 years. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we're talking about today, that we just had let them have way too much access to things that seem on the outside innocent, but in reality, um, they're not, they're having major consequences with their brain. And so if we think about the right, left brain, and we, we also have to think about moving out of the what, right? The behavior and getting to the why I want you to know our beliefs 
They shape our thoughts and feelings, which shape our actions. So if our kid has an action, a behavior that we don't like, or we have a behavior we don't like, we have to stop and think, right before I did that, what was I thinking and feeling? Which again comes back to emotional intelligence. We have to be able to think about um, what we're thinking, feel what we're feeling, being our, be in our body, be in the present. And uh, sometimes that's really hard to do. There's several different mindful techniques that you can do to, to get yourself in the present when you, you have a behavior that's kind of feel like it's spiraling or you, you just did it is, is to stop and name five things in the room, take some deep breaths, um, do some grounding exercises, go through your senses. You know, we talk about this on the podcast a lot, but for those of you who might be new, that those are some things you can do. And then ultimately, when we have those thoughts and feelings, then we got to go back to trace it back down deeper to our beliefs. And, and the beliefs that I like to focus on are, what do we think about God? What do we think about ourselves? And what do we think about others? And what we realize is that we have some really false beliefs and some false narratives around God, ourselves, and others that are shaping everything we think and feel that are shaping our actions. But our world focuses so much on the actions and stays focused on the behavior. The church, the the world in general, you know, it's it's like when uh, the the lady brought the two pennies uh, in, in Scripture and, and the Pharisees had brought thousands of dollars. You know, Jesus was way more concerned about the lady's heart and the Pharisee's heart than he was about the behavior. And that's not to to say that we don't need to change our behavior because we obviously do, especially if it's sinful and broken and unhealthy and abusive. But we're not going to do that by shaming people into it or lecturing people into it. We're going to do that by helping them change their beliefs about themselves, about God, and about other people. So um, so many kids, though, unfortunately, and this is a whole other podcast in itself that we're going to do, but so much of our culture around parenting is telling our kids that their worth and value comes from their grades comes from their social status, comes from winning in sports, comes from participating, comes from their own effort. And we teach this over and over and over kind of mindlessly without thinking about it. I mean, what's a grade? And a grade is a determinant of how good you did at something, right? But it's really not. Right? A grade is really an ass- should be an assessment of how well the teacher taught the information and how she taught it in a way that the most kids learn it and then how well each individual kid could receive and learn that information based on their style. And then the grade is, is the way to adjust that so that we can improve how this kid learns this information. But we have a society where that's not the case, where we just kind of teach it the same way, do it the same way, and, and people need to catch up. Or they need to adjust, or they're outside the spectrum of norm or whatever. And unfortunately for us, the you know that might have been okay 10 years ago. I don't think it was. I think there's a lot of consequences. But it's definitely not okay now because in the last 10 or 15 years, our kids' brains and the way they're wired and the way they're made and their, their genetics and their epigenetics is all totally different than a kid like me growing up in, in high school. You know, there's a lot more sensory issues. There's a lot more autism and Asperger's. There's a lot more spectrum issues that we're missing because we're treating it as kids as if they're the same they were 20 years ago. And we're not taking into consideration all the effects that the food and the, the medicine and the, um, screens and the things that they've been taken in um, are affecting them. And so just a quick review of what, what we have to teach our kids about their worth and value is that their worth and value they're, come from God. And there's really two words that they need to learn to focus on to have emotional tel- intelligence, and we need to too, because like ultimately I'm talking about this with kids, but I mean this is something that I get in my truck and drive home and have to wrestle with and, and tell myself the truth about all the time. But one is that we're loved and one is that we're safe and God's care. Right, and that those two things don't change um, based on circumstances, based on issues, based on 
other people's opinions of us based on failed grades. You know, there's kind of this narrative that with kids that goes, okay, you, you need to do good in junior high and high school. So you'll, you'll make a good GPA. You'll get out of high school and you'll go to a good college. You'll get in a good college that'll allow you to get in a good, you know, doctoral program or a master's degree or, you know, get into med school. And man, if you do that, then you're going to get a really good job. You're going to make really good money and you're going to be able to do whatever you want and you're going to be really happy. And I see in my office and in our offices and in all the people I interact with and talks that there's a lot of miserable people who did all those things really well. There's a lot of people who, man, they busted their butt. They made good grades to this point now with these kids are, I mean, I see them, they're, they're having panic attacks. They're anxious because everything in their life is based on a 4.0. Everything in their life is based on, you know, getting into, you know, doing really perfect at baseball. So they're going to get a college scholarship so they can go to college. So they make good grades so they can get a good job so they can get out and be happy. And they're killing themselves to do it. And then they do it and they succeed. And, and there's just another ladder to climb. There's just another performance to do. And we're wondering why, you know, they, they're confused by church. They're confused by the gospel. They're confused by this unconditional love of God when they haven't really seen it because it's their whole success rate, their whole life, their whole future, their, the next 60 years of their lives is, is based on what they're doing right now. And if they do it perfectly almost, or if they, you know, excel at it at all areas and, and then the world's, you know, coming at them with the same truth, except for they need more things. They have to get more things. They have to look differently. They have to buy more things, but we'll get into that in a second getting off tangent. So ultimately, right, this, we have to teach them that their worth and value comes from God, that it comes from our, us as parents, that we love them unconditionally as best we can because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And we have to be as consistent as possible. Are we going to do that perfectly? No. And I don't do it perfectly by any means. But when we mess up, we go back to the truth instead of double downing on the lie, right? We go back to the truth of, Hey man, Sorry, you know, kid, I, I messed up. I'm so sorry. I was disobedient. My anger and my laziness or my whatever. And uh, you shouldn't have to experience that. You need to get your worth and value from God, Even not even your parents. I remember um, when my oldest was, you know, four or five, I started telling him, you know, who, you know who loves you more than me? And I'd say God. And a little bit of me didn't want to do that. You know, a little of me had pride. Of, I want him to think I love him the absolute most. And But I, ultimately, if I die today, I want Grady and Jude, my boys, to know um, that God loves them more than I do and that he's going to be there for them when they get in college and when they graduate and when they have a family, I might not always be there. And so that if any external thing tries to change that, yeah, he'll have me and my love and my value for him and my consistency for him. But ultimately I'm going to fail him and I already have, I'm going to fail both of them. And, um, you know, he, he's got, they've got to be able to work that out. And so when that happens, right, there's, there's pain um, that causes trauma that causes the brain to change. And there's a whole podcast on this you can go listen to. But from that pain, we get, you know, neurological delays, neurological issues, automatic responses, coping um, that we see in our kids, that we see in ourselves. And so, again, just another way for us to know what's going on with our kids is when we see a behavior, a negative, it's, you know, a yelling and screaming, um, shaming themselves, self-harming. When we see obsessive Internet use, when we see... Um, you know, controlling behavior. Like I can't get my phone up. I got to have this game. I got to have this thing. I can't do anything about it. I'm going to lie. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to, I got to have it. Um, or we just see a total withdrawal, a total shutdown from them. We have to know instead of getting caught up on the behaviors, we have to go back to, Oh my gosh, they're in pain. They're hurting. 
something's wrong with their brain, something's wrong with their heart and their mind and their body. Let me trace that back to what's happened in the last month, the last six months, their childhood, um, you know, that could have done this. You know, I talk to parents sometimes and, you know, maybe have foster kids or adoptive kids or kids in a divorce situation and they'll be teenagers and they'll be struggling with stuff and we'll start talking and, and they'll tell me a story about what happened to this kid when he was, you know, two, three, four, and five. And, you know, right now those things aren't happening, but those things still have a huge unconscious, um, part in why the teenager's behavior is the way that it is, why, why their worldview is different because the way they see God, the way they see themselves and the way they see other people is forever shaped by the trauma that they experienced. And, and we can heal that and we can restore that and we can rewrite that narrative. But ultimately, until we stop and, and, and rewrite that with them and for them by our actions, our behaviors, our words, our consistency, the, the Holy Spirit's power through us, then they're going to keep having that narrative because it's built and wired into their brain. It's hardwired in for safety. It's hardwired in for survival. And we have to get past the behaviors and get down to the root um, with the gospel and with our love and with our affection. So I say all that to say because in order to talk about uh, technology and the phone and all those things, we have to understand um, what's going on with the behavior and not getting so caught up in just telling them what not to do but telling them why. So our kids, these teenagers and these young children, they're what I call digital natives. They are, you know, I ask the kids in the, in the group, like, what's a native? And, you know, they say a native is somebody who's from the land, from originally there that was born into it is what a girl said a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, right. So most of us are what we call analog to digital converts, right? We were analog. We, we had maps, we had pens, we had, you know, calculators in class. We had, um, you know, to call people on a phone that somebody could pick up and talk on the other line and annoy us to death. We have all these things that were just 10, 15 years ago, still the case. And we grew up without digital things, without digital content, without social media, without um, Facebook, without access to the app and access to emails and people having access to us. But these kids, they're, they're native to it. They, they've only always known technology in their hand. They've always only known the click of a button and the touch of an app. And again, those, those things release dopamine in our brains. Those things, those things release dopamine as strong as cocaine to a child's brain. And I'm not anti-technology, but I am anti them having that drug available at all times, as much as they want, whenever they want. And so they're the first group in history to have this stuff. And you, if you're listening, you're the first parenting group, the first grandparenting group um, to have this stuff as well. And if you're a young adult, if you're a college student, um, you're in this. You're in this group. If you're 20 to 30, you are a digital native. You you have grown up only knowing technology in your hand, only knowing dopamine being able to be filtered to you, to you and through you. And it's changed the way you're wired. It's changed the way you think. And so, a lot of times, there's a lot of shame and blame going around for the millennials and that young generation for themselves. I think you know self blame but also from the culture, just kind of like ageism where we just hate on that generation and call them lazy or call them, you know, mindless or whatever. But it's, we've created it as an adult society. We've allowed it. And uh, I hope today we can give some reasons why that is and why we should change it. Um, and I think for many of the millennials, they're, they're trying to find a balance in this new society of how to, how to live in this way. And I think they're seeing the consequences. And some of them, hopefully in the church especially, are making some hard lefts as I hope we do. Um, but we are the, you know, they're, these little kids, these teenagers are also the last, the last thing I was going to say was the first group to handle 
like adult content um, and communication abilities, like with little guidance. I've been doing these talks last couple of years and recently I've been getting to talk to the kids and, and so I'll ask them, you know, to raise their hand um, if they have a cell phone and, you know, I did a talk this weekend and it was about 150 kids and they all raised their hand. Say, okay, keep your hand up. If, um, if you have, you know, Snapchat, keep, you know, keep their hands up, keep your hands up. If you have Instagram, keep their hand up, keep your hands up. If you have TikTok, you know, 98, 97% of the room has their hand up. And I say, okay, well keep your hand up. If your parent taught you how to use your phone or social media and literally out of the hundred people that have their hands up, 98 of them will put their hands down. There may be one or two kids with their hands up. What's a major problem? It's not a small problem. It's not a small thing. But again, these they're native to it. We didn't grow up with it. So a lot of times as parents, we don't even know what to do. We don't even know that we're supposed to monitor it. We don't even know the risks or the consequences of having these phones. And we've got to wake up. We've got to be aware. I was given an example this weekend of, um, of like the Wright brothers with a plane. And I was saying that, um, you know, the first plane was created by the Wright brothers. And what happened? It crashed. And, you know, so they flew it a little bit. It, it landed, you know, hard and crashed. And, and they were like, okay, what do we have to do to make sure this thing doesn't crash again? Because we don't want to die. Um, and so they created more and they built more on it. And they didn't go out and build, you know, 20 planes like that because there would have been no reason to because they needed to make sure the first one didn't harm people. And so they built it and they built it. And over the course of 50 to 60 years, Right, obviously they made it better and they made it safe for human beings. And they looked at how it affected the culture and the people around them and the risk that was there. But with the phone, we did the complete opposite. We created a thing that had never been in society before. And it went from an iPhone, I mean, a, a razor phone, right? A, a razor phone one night, one night in 2007 to a smartphone the next night. And then we just put it in society. We put it in society with social media, with pornography, with the internet, with education, with messaging, with all of these things, with the email, all of these things. We put them all at one time. It's not like we staggered them and, and kind of slowly built them out. It was all at once. And we had no clue what the consequences were going to be. We had no clue how it was going to affect our society, had no clue how it was going to affect our brains, how our bodies, our, our positions on anything, our ability to send out information and get information. And, and, and yet... A couple years later, the iPhone 2 comes out, and what do we do? We give our first iPhone to our kids. Before we even know the consequences for adults, we, we let children have a thing that we're not ready for, that we're not even ready for as adults, much less our children ready for it. And so they're the first culture, the first generation of kids who can text someone, who can send a picture to someone who they don't know, who can get pictures sent to them from somebody that they don't know who can look at pornography and see it on a readily, you know, readily available basis, who can, man, just all the things that we do as adults, our kids also have those same things. They can be in a group message in a group text and be sending things back and forth and talking about things. And they have no skill as, as 10 and 12 year olds and eight year olds to be able to be in a group message and set boundaries and say no. And those things are horrible for them, horrible for their brain. And it's a terrible introduction into relationships and so it's no wonder that when they get it at 10 and they move through 11, 12, 13, 14, that most of them, the only way they text is through Snapchat now. The only way they comment on anything is, is through a three or four word answer. And so they're not able to talk to adults and have communication and resolve conflict because they never learned how. They were sent from 
eight, seven, eight, nine years old, straight into having to have adult conversations and adult content and adult communication styles with no skill. Heck, half of us as adults don't have any skill either. We can't, I mean, I know myself, I've sent a text or an email and just been like, oh, I really wish I would have thought about that before I sent it. Or, I, you know, I did it really quickly because I wanted to get it done. And it, how I said it was not how I meant it, but I didn't really think about how it would impact the person because I made it real direct because I just needed to get it done. You know, some, some people will send me an email. Somebody actually just did this the other night. They sent me an email about, hey, you know, I saw you speak here. I want to, I want to get a counseling session with blah, blah, blah. Here's what I've been through. Can you help me? Um, and I sent back cause I was in the middle of something. Yeah. Here's the front desk office. Um, we have two people who can help you that here's their names. Bam. Sent the email. And then immediately after I sent it, I was like, ah, so I clicked open and sent another one. Hey, Thank you for reaching out. Um, I'm super proud of you for, you know, taking the, the time to be vulnerable. You know, what I really feel if I had time to stop and think about it. Well, in a relationship, you have time to stop and think about it because they're right in front of you. Now, I'm not saying everybody's good at that. I'm just saying you at least have the capacity to see their face and see their eyes drop or their shoulders slump when you completely dismiss and ignore what they're saying because they're not right in front. It's not just information sharing. It's a human being who's being vulnerable, who's communicating something deep down in their soul. And yet through email and through text messages, we can just boom, blow right by it. And we do it as an adult. And so do we think that our kids aren't going to do it like a million times worse? And that's how they're learning to be vulnerable right off the bat in relationships. And we, we got to, we got to do something about that. The other thing I, that I like to talk about is the dopamine versus serotonin war that they're fighting. So I mentioned that earlier. Dopamine is a very addictive drug in their brain touches about five receptors. It's highly addictive, need more and more and more of it. Uh, serotonin is touches about 15 receptors in your brain. It's not addictive. It's, it's a, a slow, strong, uh, drip of hormone. You get serotonin from connection, from personal conversations, face-to-face -face interactions, hugs, um, exercise, eating green vegetables. And when you release those things, it, it heals your brain and it helps your brain and it gives you energy. Um, dopamine, is what you get from pornography, what you get from ice cream, what you get from anything that you do instantly that's instant gratification, that's impulsive. When you touch your app on, on social media or your app on your phone or somebody likes or hearts or follows your page or makes a comment, your brain is flooded with dopamine and you want more and you want to see more. And, and we know this is true because if any of us post a picture of anything, how many times do we get alerted, updated, and then we go back and see it and we're like, oh, somebody like that. Oh, somebody like that. Oh, somebody like that. And guess what? If somebody doesn't like it or somebody, the person you want doesn't like it, it doesn't change your happiness, right? You just get more depressed if they don't. So the dopamine actually doesn't improve anything. It just gives you a temporary high over and over. And what we're learning in science is that um, you're not actually producing any more dopamine after a while. Your brain is actually just avoiding withdrawal. So we used to think, oh, well, you do this thing, you watch porn again, you do this. And, you know, that means you're getting this high from this dopamine. Well, what we're seeing is that, well, once you burn it all out, really your, your brain's just going, hey, please keep doing this thing. Keep eating this thing. Keep looking at this thing. Keep working on this thing. Because if I don't, if you don't, I'm going to be in a lot of pain because there's none left. And so we're seeing this cycle go over and over again. And we've got to not let that be the case for our kids. I mean, it's bad enough for us as adults who barely had this in, you know, eight years, nine years, 10 years, 12 years, depending on when you got your phone. Um, if you're Ross Githens, which if you're listening to this, Ross, I love you. He's one of our therapists. He's an iPhone, 
you know, iPad, MacBook, uh, the King. And so, you know, I've, I finally converted over in the last couple months. I'm actually looking at my MacBook now and it is amazing. And now I have to say, Ross, thank you for changing me over. But if we, if you're a person who loves technology, you probably got in in 2007, you've been dealing with it with a lot longer. But if you're a person like me, who's kind of in the middle, I'm just now getting into it. My point is, is that there's consequences for that. And the sooner you're in it, the longer you're in it without the right boundaries, the more damage it causes. And we're all in our thirties and forties getting into it now. And these kids have been getting into it since they were some of them, three, four, five, six. Um, and we've got to do a better job. We've got to understand that. So dopamine helps us only to become pleasure seekers, only to want immediate gratification. And we're trained and wired to do what feels best in the moment and not to be able to, defer our reward, right? And as Christians, ultimately, what we have to do is we have to learn to defer our reward. We have to teach kids, hey, listen, you got to put off what feels good right this second for the better thing. You know, yes, you want to have sex. And yes, you're, you're, you're wired for that. And God made you that way. And sex is good. But man, if you protect yourself and keep yourself safe and you find the right people, it's going to be worth it versus going through a bunch of people that aren't right for you and not, not safe for you and that you thought were and getting the immediate gratification only to find out that it doesn't last and it's not good. And then working that out in therapy for 40 years because you have no clue, you know, that it's going to cost you that much. So we have to, we have to do a better job with the kids of not allowing them to just be dopamined up. I have to see how it's affecting their brain. Um, a lot of research is showing that there's a huge delay in the prefrontal cortex development because of the last 10 years, meaning that younger kids, younger adults, their prefrontal cortex is not as, as good as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, not as developed as it was early on. And so we wonder why we're seeing more emotional immaturity in our society, in our young adults more and more. It's because the screen has affected, the drug has affected, the disconnection has affected the way we develop those skills, those executive functioning skills. Um, and again, I think it all sounds bad, but we can adjust, we can turn, we can, anybody who's on there at all. I went, again, I was out of town this weekend and on the way I got home and I adjusted several different things that I realized, oh man, I really don't want access to this. Or I really don't want to do this anymore. I really don't want to look at this anymore. It's just, ugh, you know, like it just takes my time and my energy. And so I came back and made some adjustments and, and, you know, so we're all in it. We're all trying to, every time we get something new or we do something new or we think it's good for us, it kicks our butt because we can't beat it. Um, so how much more if we're doing it, do we need to be on top of it with our kids and do we need to limit their access to it? The other problem is access of unlimited information, right? These kids for the first time in history, you know, they're not going to the library to pull out an index card and try to figure out where a book is. They just, say, Hey Siri, where's blah, blah, or what's the capital of this? Or, and those are amazing things, right? It's amazing that we have that access, but it's also making us super lazy, you know, to where we don't have to do anything. We don't have to look up anything. We don't have to use our brain to figure it out. You know, I had a pastor tell me that they had a, did a trip to go mow grass and there was a teenager, 14 or 15. He was standing in front of the pool, the, the push mower and uh, he said, hey, man, just you know, start this lawnmower up. I'm going to go in the backyard. We're going to pick up some sticks. I'll come back in here and check on you. And comes back around the front yard about 30 minutes later, and the kid's just standing there. And he said, what What are you doing? He said, well, I don't know how to start it. And he said, well, figure it out. you know." And he's like, I don't know how to figure that out. And he's like, I couldn't find the, the lawnmower on YouTube. <laughs> so we're so used to being able, which I love. I mean, I, there's so many house projects I've done very poorly, but I've done. 
that I looked up on YouTube and figured out how to do saved me some money, but it took me a lot of time. But because of that, like we don't figure it out. We don't use our hands and that part of our brain to figure out how to start a lawnmower. And that means we're not connecting and firing the right synapses and making them form. And that means they're not there. They're literally not developed. They're not connected. And so we can't do it later on in life. And our kids can't do it later on in life. So let's talk about social media for a second. This one might be a little triggering and might push people away. They might immediately stop listening to me as I talk about it. But I got to talk about some truth anyway, so might as well. Um, so, I, I mean, I've experienced social media as being amazing and terrible all at the same time. But I specifically want to talk about for kids right now um, the consequences because I need us to understand what it is that we're giving them and what it is that, it, that it's doing to them and what it's doing to us as a society. So, um, social media is just like anything. It's a symptom of a problem, and it is a problem, but it's it's the the inability for us to use it well that's the real problem. Um, if we look back on what we've talked about, if we have trauma, if we have um, dopamine issues, if we have broken brains that are based on um, feelings of self, you know, unworthiness and safety, we have high ACEs scores, which we talk about, right? Adverse childhood experiences scale. We have lots of trauma, divorce, um, sexual abuse stats that are outrageous. We have all these things going on in our childhoods, all of us, like our whole society. Then giving us something where we can get immediate feedback, immediate affirmation, immediate um, responses from people, good or bad, is a very dangerous thing. Um, it started out with Facebook in 2005 being a .edu thing. You had to, have to be a college student to have social media, and you had to be in college, and it was a way for you know, college students to connect and see each other and uh, talk with each other and enjoy things. And really, you know, before that was MySpace, um, which was my era, and I can't even really remember what it did, um, but kind of the same thing. You had you know pictures that you could put on there, and people could like it and follow it and look at it, and I don't even know if they could like it really. Um, but then quickly, you know, Facebook comes out. And so from Facebook, we get Instagram and then we get Snapchat and then we get TikTok, And, you know, we've come all the way to this point where now there's a bunch of different things that kids use. But I want to talk about this key point, a bunch of key points, but you know, a movie, a film is rated R because it's restricted, right? It's, it's rated by a group of people who are in society who aren't Christians probably. And who, you know, are deciding that, Hey, there's some content that's in some of these movies that um, we don't want children to see and children shouldn't be exposed to because it's adult content. It's, it's nudity, it's language, it's violence in a way that we, we know if kids see it will be a problem for our society or we'll get sued for showing them. I mean, essentially, right? There'll be a lawsuit because you didn't rate it. And then somebody brought their kid to whatever. And there was some murder violence or sex or nudity or exposure and your kid's going to have problems from that. And so you're going to be able to prove they have problems because they saw this stuff and now you're in a lawsuit. So that's why we have rated our movies. That's why we have Y7 shows for kids. Um, ultimately, it's still the world deciding those ratings. So I would say no matter what, we have to check that stuff. But I say the point, the point I'm making there is that there's not a social media platform that has a rating. 
That's pretty mind blowing. Like there's not, it's not like Facebook is rated R or X or triple X or, you know, Y7. It's not like Instagram is rated Y7 or, you know, for 12 year olds or for 12 and up or, you know, whatever. I think Facebook is 13 and up, right? But the problem with that is there's, there's way, 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 and one more way worse content on Instagram and Facebook and our phones than in a rated R movie. Right there, the you might see nudity in a movie, you might see breasts in a movie, you might see a sex scene in a movie, but you're going to see hardcore violent pornography online. And you can find that on Instagram. You can find that on Snapchat. You can come across child pornography on Instagram and on Snapchat. You can come across all kinds of bestiality and all kinds of things that get uploaded because there's no filter for it. Now, they have a group of people that filter it, there's actually a group of people that their sole job is to sit in front of a computer and filter out atrocious things that people post on, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, and they try to catch as much as they can so that we're not all seeing it as a society. But it slips through the cracks. You know, and, and kids can go looking for it because when they're little, they don't understand. They, they're excited by it or they're interested in it or it, um, you know, it's just they're curious and curiosity killed the cat and it's killing our kids. You know, it's killing our adults. So we have to understand that the social media that's out there, it doesn't have a filter. It doesn't care about the exposure. Right? And and the stuff that goes viral is not good things. It's always negative things. It's you know, 95% of the time it's something horrible, horribly funny, horribly awful, horribly ridiculous in our society going on that everybody clicks on and watches. <laughs> Like this podcast. I mean, I, I love that people listen to it. I love that we have the downloads and the listeners that we do. And thank you all so much for listening to hopefully what you think is good content. But it's not going to go viral unless content, good content, is shared by people. Instead of the things that get people to, um, you know, think about negative things and get excited and share and gossip and, you know, talk. The other problem with social media is that it's it's got it's full of unsafe adults. What I mean by that is, fifteen years ago, just fifteen years ago. Well, let's let's go let's go shorter than that. Really, children have only had phones for about a decade. So let's say ten years ago. Ten years ago, if your little boy or your little girl wanted to learn from adults what they thought about anything, they literally had to walk over to a group of adults meeting and sit in and listen to them talk. They couldn't go into a chat group or go on online to listen to someone's opinion or listen to someone talk about the war in Ukraine or about sexuality or about what they think about this or that or what they do with so-and-so or what their opinion of some other thing, you would have had to be there with them and allow them to walk over. It'd be like being in, you know, Target and a strange adult male walking up to you and, and your daughter saying, hey, um, those two guys over there are talking. Can I go listen to what they're talking about? Well, absolutely not. You say, heck to the no. Or if they came over and said, hey, little girl, what are you doing? What's your name? You'd be like, get out of here. What are you doing? Call the cops. But 65% of kids who have social media get messaged privately by an adult and a stranger at that, and 50% of them answer it. And less than 25% of them tell their parent. And we're seeing this over and over. We're seeing them get catfished by you know, other men. They pretend to be kids. The other problem with it is that 
social media for all of us, right, measures other people's highlight reels versus real life. And I know most people have heard this at this point, but the reality is nobody is is posting their crappy stuff, their fights, their arguments, their ugly faces, their their bellies, their, you know, whatever they're they're working out, right? They're trying to get healthy and they're trying to lose weight. They're posting the best things in the best light and the best angles. There's been a little pushback on that. Like you see some models, you see some people who will post like a bent over pose and go, hey, look, this is what my belly looks like if you just turn this way. And then that's great. It's trying to break the stigma, but we got to push back more. One is we got, I would say as adults, don't engage in it. Don't engage in hyper editing your pictures and hyper editing your teeth and hyper. And I, look, I've been totally on board with that. Right, I've totally filtered myself a little bit or touched up something or been like, oh, that's a terrible picture. I'm not posting this one. Let me let me find the exact one where I don't look like a, you know, idiot. When in reality, like we're just doing that for ourselves. And we're presenting this culture of fakeness and and unachievable goals and unachievable gains and unachievable lives that as adults, man, it's causing enough problems. But for our kids, it's really destroying their self-worth, their value their ability to think they can be enough, all of those violations of love and trust are happening, not just from their homes, but from what they're doing online and on social media. I asked these little girls um, a couple of weeks ago, fifth, sixth graders, seventh, eighth graders, and I do it a bunch. I I'll always ask them, what, you know, how many pictures do you take of yourself before you post one? And sadly, this weekend they said 19, 20. I said, so what you're telling me is, you, took, you take 19 pictures, 20 pictures, and 19 of them you delete. What do you say to yourself when you when you take those pictures? And they said, ooh, gross. That's not it. That's not the one. Ugly. Nobody's going to like that. I mean, think about that. These little girls are taking pictures of themselves and 19 out of 20 times are downplaying themselves, shaming themselves, speaking the anti-gospel to themselves. And then they'll finally find what they like, take it, edit it, make it better and put it online. And then people still say negative things, don't like it, don't follow it. And if they don't have enough likes and don't, and don't have enough follows because of it or whatever, they'll take it down and do it again. And I said, how many times do you do this a day? Listen, this is 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds. They'll say, uh, four or five. That's 80 to 100 times a day that these little girls are saying they're not enough. And if 98% of them are not being taught by an adult or a parent how to use it appropriately, then they're just saying all those things to themselves alone without anyone rewriting that narrative, without anybody combating that lie that Satan is getting in there and manipulating and twisting and planning in their soul and in their mind and their body that they're not enough. Listen, there's enough sexism and, and racism and problems going on in the world, but those are all symptoms of the problem. The problem that we're, we're allowing like steroids to be injected into our kids around their worth and their value. And we wonder why this age group has a 20, 200%, not 20, 200% increase in self-harm. The other thing they think is anybody can be famous with social media. We all think we're going to go viral over some stupid video that we do that's funny and hilarious and we'll get a bunch of views and then we'll, somebody will ask, you know, pay us some money to do more and we see it over and over again. 
And we all fall victim to that idea. And we post things. We try to get attention. We try to get validation to make us feel loved, to make us feel secure, to make us feel worthy. And again, it's not in and of itself bad. It's not a judgment of someone who posts a silly video or does something funny every once in a while. I, mean, I have to post stuff all the time. I hate it. Right? I try to post stuff about our talks and, hey, we went here and, hey, we went here and, hey, we did this and, hey, Clint did this. And, you know, and every time I do it, I'm like, ugh, cringe. But ultimately, we have to stop and ask ourselves before we post, right? Why am I posting this? We have to teach our kids to ask ourselves themselves before they post, why am I posting this? Am I posting this to get validation? Am I posting this to hope that someone likes it? Am I posting this to get some dopamine and, and, and feel better about myself? Or am I posting this to make the world better? Am I posting this to legitimately just share what God is doing in my life that's good, that he's doing in other people's lives that are good, that we don't deserve, that we're gracefully been given, so that other people have hope that he can do that in their life? So are we, are we posting about God and for God and for his glory? Or are we posting for our glory and to become God ourselves? We have to ask that question every time we post on social media, every time we engage. Because if we don't do it every time, then it's going to be for ourselves 100% of the time. It also makes us all feel like we have connection when we don't. Because here's the deal. You can have all these Facebook friends that follow you and like your videos and, and like your comments and love your podcast. But when you have a miscarriage, do they show up? When you lose your job, do they show up? When they when something bad happens in your life, do they come over and bring you dinner and pray for you and give you a gift card to somewhere to eat and really love on you and listen to you? When you slip up, when you mess up, when you have a problem, what happens? Man, we see this in society. We see this with actors and professionals and you know they're they're worshiped by us by society we love them and love them and love we love every movie they're in we love everything they do we talk about them like they're awesome and amazing people god like you know blah 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 someone so does this on the side and he's so good but the one moment they mess up the one moment that we film or show a, a response that's not good we're all making memes and talking about it where do we think kids are learning bullying from us and so is what we share and how we interact and what we do on social media. Is it, is it of God or is it not? Is it glorifying him or is it glorifying a world where kids are growing up to look and go, these are how the adults act and interact and make fun of and, and laugh at and jeer at and make memes of. Now, again, I'm not above laughing at them, I promise. There's some good memes. But you got to know who you're interacting with those things with. You have to know who you're sending those things to. You know, You have to know that they know your heart underneath it. And you can laugh at something and know that it's not. You would never treat someone like that. But kids don't look at us the same way. They're not adults. They do not understand that sometimes things are just humorous and that we're trying to make light of a hard situation. The other problem it has for kids is, is FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, they can know what 200 of their kids or your friends are doing on the weekends. They can know every vacation their friends' family's taking them on, what dinner they're eating, what food they're getting to eat, what, you know, everything. And so it's never enough for them. You know, they're, they're just at home chilling in their pajamas watching Netflix and their friends are out, you know, doing all these things. And their friends can post and tag each other in it and they're not invited. Man, I wasn't invited to all kinds of things in high school. I didn't know it. There were sleepovers and birthday parties and trips and vacations. 
and I would have never known it unless somebody told me. And then it hurt for two seconds and I moved on to something else. But these kids know everything at all times. And the anxiety and the depression and the the you're not enough and you're not in and you're not worthy and, and you didn't get invited to this and you, you didn't go to Sonic with them when they went and get drinks and you know just all of that is constant. The other thing about it is social currency. Right? They they get their worth and their payment and their money from that dopamine hit that somebody followed it, somebody liked me, somebody saw it. And they use that as social currency in relationships. Oh, you see so-and-so did this. Oh, you see so-and-so did that. But again, they get bankrupt real quick if something bad goes on. Something negative happens. If it's not always on, if it's not always good, if it's not always quality, it goes from all to nothing. Also, with that instant access and always on, bullying is commonplace. When I was in high school, there were these two kids. Um, I won't say their names on here just in case they listen, but they uh, they used to turn their senior rings around and smack me in the back of the head. And we call it ring popping when we were in high school. And, you know, it's cute and funny then, but it hurts. And I was probably seventh grader, and I would go to the library and hide during lunch because I knew I wouldn't have to interact with them in the library. So I, would, I remember being so anxious. I'd go in the library and get a fantasy novel and sit and read, and then once recess was over, I'd go back to class, and then I wouldn't worry about it anymore. When I got home in the afternoon, I wouldn't worry about it anymore. When I went on home for the weekend, I wouldn't worry about it anymore. When I was on summer break, I was not thinking about these two kids. I wasn't anxious about it. I wasn't nervous they were going to come out of the bushes and slap me in the back of the head. But these kids are constantly nervous and anxious and worried and overwhelmed with how people are engaging with them online, engaging with them through social media, bullying them, talking about them, laughing at them. And when they go home or they go at night, they know all the people are still doing it. They're just in a, this third dimension called social media where they're all playing around and acting around your your identity, and you're not even there. And the way that's changing their brain and traumatizing them is devastating. Constantly making you feel ashamed. Constantly making you feel anxious and depressed. And we wonder why we've got this cancel culture going on. Why we've got self-harm, why we've got suicide, why we've got addiction and all of the things, body dysmorphia, especially in the young girls. I want us to be able to, as a society, shift for our kids. I want, I want them to be able to be safe. So we have to, we have to do something different. We, one, you know, I'm going to just give you some rules, Clint's rules, and you can take them and you can throw them out. You can do whatever you want to, but, I don't see a reason for why a child needs a cell phone until ninth grade. A smartphone, anyway. Right? Yeah, they may need to call you. Yeah, they may need to text you. But ninth graders, right? High schoolers getting into high school, being busy, doing their thing. Yeah, maybe they need to engage that way. But an eighth grader or seventh grader, right? Unless they're riding with you all the time, they don't need a phone. They don't need a smartphone. They don't need any access to the internet without supervision. They don't need any access to social media. They cannot handle it. And if we are going to give it to them, <clears throat> then we have to scaffold it. So I, I use the example at the time of a driver's license. Right? That when we got it, we got a car, right? Well, what's the number one thing we don't want to happen is we don't want to wreck and die. 
right? We don't want to crash it into somebody else and hurt anybody else in society. And we certainly don't want to hurt us. You know, people make that joke. Oh, tell me when your kids get their license, I'm going to make sure I stay off the road. You know I mean? We heard that our whole lives because we know 16 year olds can't drive for nothing. That's why all of our insurance premiums are outrageous. So what do we, what do we got to do? We have to model and shape and scaffold them. So with a car, right? You might drive in the driveway or the parking lot, um, at 12 or 13, you might sit in your dad's lap and steer the steering wheel, but you know you're not in control and you certainly aren't in charge. 13, 14, you might get to drive a little further, a little more. At 15, you you go, you take a test. You learn about the car, you learn about safety, you learn about what you can and can't do, and you get a learner's permit. And then what happens? You have an adult with you at all times. You have to have someone monitoring you, watching you, in the car with you, to make sure you don't murder yourself or somebody else. So you don't run off the roads. So you don't hit anybody. Why? Because if you do, all of our insurance now, all of our insurance premiums are going to go up. Yeah, that's part of it. That's a huge part of it. But the other part is we don't want other people to be affected by our poor decisions because it's dangerous. And we know kids make really bad decisions. And then after some time, after an adult rides with them and watches them, they have to go take a test and they have to learn more information and more things. And they have to prove that they've done a good job for this time period. They've been mature with it. They've handled it appropriately. They've not affected society super negatively. And they're able to take the test and get their license. And then they're able to drive until probably whatever their curfew time is, according to the law in your, in your state. And then they have to do that for a little while. And then they finally get complete freedom to do whatever they want to and drive whenever they want to, however they want to. Well, why don't we do this with the phone? Why do we go from now nine years old to driving? Why do we go from nine years old to texting? Why do we go from nine years old to social media? Why do we go from nine years old to internet access? When we haven't taught them any of the rules, any of the boundaries, any of the structures, any of the pros and the cons, not to wear their seatbelt, not to look left and go both ways and, you know, how to turn. Nobody knows how to turn at the weird, you know, cross thing in the middle of the street. Everybody about kills each other. Or we haven't taught them any of those little subtle lessons about how to use the phone and social media. We haven't put any bumpers on there. We haven't put any protections in there. We haven't put any apps that watch and monitor. They haven't put any boundaries around what they can and can't download and what they can and can't see and who can and can't send them something. 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, their brains aren't remotely, remotely developed, remotely formed to handle hard things. So if we're going to give our kids a phone, I just beg you to scaffold it, to walk it through. If you've got to give them a phone, great. Put an app on there where you can monitor their text messages where you can teach them how to talk and how to communicate and how to respond to people when they send them messages and you know who's doing it so you can limit that. If you're going to allow them to have social media, please sign into it on your phone. If you give them an Instagram account, sign into that Instagram account on your phone and watch the direct messages and the messages sent out and the people they follow and the things they heart. And then walk them through, have conversations weekly, daily about texts and sent and what they're liking and what they're watching and monitor their YouTube usage, download the videos so they can watch them without them being able to just freely roam wherever they're at with their phone. Put Covenant Eyes on or put um, any of the other good apps, Bark. Now listen, none of it works perfectly. There's no app that's perfect. Everything gets a workaround. 
but we have to keep working really hard. And I know this sounds like a daunting task for teenage parents and especially for parents coming up like me. I mean, I have a four and seven year old, you know, I'm seeing everybody's getting phones in eighth grade and ninth grade or eight, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. People are having phones and, you know, people's kids are like, I want a phone. So-and-so has a phone. So-and-so has social media. You know, why can't we get on there? I just want to do it for church. I just want to do it for that. And I get it. It's difficult. But the, con- the, the pros do not outweigh the cons, especially in the way we're doing it. And so we have to educate ourselves, educate our friends, support one another, and, and build a community of people who are like-minded. Who go, hey, listen, we all hang out. We're all going to spend time together. We're all going to disciple our kids together and raise our kids together in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Let's get on the same page about this. Like These consequences are too much. This is too much of a mess for us to let this go on. So what are we going to do? Well, decide together. When your kids come over to play and you eat dinner, don't let them get on the screen. Don't let them get on the computer. Don't let them get on an iPad. Put that thing up and make them go play outside. Make them play a game. Make them go upstairs. Make them do whatever they're going to do. Right? Do some art. And and we have to be proactive about that as parents. We have to together say, hey, listen, y'all are coming over for dinner Friday night. What's something we could buy or do or get we can have ready for these kids so they're not asking us about a screen? And make sure we're on the same page. And over the course of a few months and the course of a few interactions, it becomes the base, right? The foundation is, oh, man, we're going over to the Davises or we're going over to the Hennessy's or we're going over to the Watsons or we're going over to the, the Mitchells or whoever's house we're, we're going over to. Well, we know we're not even going to ask because they're not going to let us have it. And also, the last 15 times we never was amazing. We had so much fun with them that we didn't even touch a screen. We didn't even touch a device. We didn't just sit around and watch Dude Perfect for two hours so our parents could talk. And I get it. I want to do that sometimes. And I'm not saying every once in a while you can't. But I am saying we have to be mindful about it and intentional about it. And we have to get ahead of it. And so I know I'm going on a rant about this, but I think it's super important. And I don't think enough people are talking about it within our church, within our community, within our country, within our world. And I hope that today you understand a little bit about why, right? The consequences are life and death for them. They really, really are. The consequences for our future really, really is. And if we don't adjust, if we don't as adults, take just pause right now and stop and go, okay, I know this is true because it affects my life the same way. I'm filtering my pictures. I'm editing things. I'm posting the best things. I'm engaging constantly. I'm overwhelmed. I find myself being lost in the swipe. I'm in a fight with my husband or my wife about how much they're on their phone and on on social media. Everything we talk about is, did you see what so-and-so did and what so-and-so didn't do? Have you seen about this new thing or this person did this at the Oscars or this person did this? Hey, do you see this meme? That's I mean, it's just constant. And so stop and, and go, okay, what, what, what am I doing and why? And how do I make an adjustment? Because if I make an adjustment, if you make an adjustment, I promise you you're going to be healthier and happier. I promise you you're going to be less stressed, less anxious, less, less annoyed, less angry. I promise you. Because you're going to make space. You're going to stop feeding your brain dopamine and, and feeding your brain, I'm not enough and I'm unworthy and everybody else has got it together and I don't. We're going to stop feeding our kids this, this just terrible, toxic worldview. 
and we can feed them the gospel. We can say, no, 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 you're loved and you're valued and you're worthy and you're good and you're secure and you don't need anything to give you that because what Jesus did on the cross was enough. You have a God that loves you unconditionally, loves you so much that he died for you. It says he made him that knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give us life and give it to us abundantly. So we've got to teach this. We've got to live this out. We've got to lead this way, whether it's social media or technology or the phone or work or whatever it is. So I, I want you to know you're loved, you're valued. If you're struggling with social media addiction, with phone addiction, with sex addiction, with porn addiction, with whatever it is that you're struggling with when it comes to devices, you are not uniquely broken. Man, we are all, we're, we're, it's impossible for us to beat this, especially alone. It's impossible for you to overcome it on your own. I can't. I'll get sucked into the vortex just as easy as somebody else. I'll slip up just as easy as somebody else. If I don't have the right things blocking and protecting, if I don't have the right accountability, if I don't have the right checks and balances in my marriage, in my friendships, in my discipleship groups. Because we can't win against it. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. Only the power of the Holy Spirit, only our conviction of our worth and value can do it. But I want you to know that even even right now in, in your deepest, darkest, shameful sin, whatever it is that you do, that you think you're the only one who does it, if anybody knew, the whole world would fall apart. That while you're doing that, while you're in the midst of that, that Christ, the God of the universe, came down, became a man, suffered, died for that, while you're doing it. And Satan is the one saying that you're condemned and that you're not enough and you're not valuable and you're not worthy. And that that sin keeps you separated or that, that thing you need because you can't give this up or you can't surrender because God can't love somebody like you. They can't love a family like you, a kid like yours. We have got to take that over and take that back as adults. And then we've got to model and teach that to our kids. I hope that this message is helpful. I hope it gives you some whys. I hope that you get a lot out of it. I hope you know you're loved and valued. I hope you keep listening. I would love for you guys to share this podcast with other people to get the message out, to get this information out, to get people help. I'm going to look up in 10 years and see we made a difference, see we made an impact um, and this trust that God's going to use it and that His Holy Spirit um, is going to go over us. I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to pray for us. Um, before we go, God, I just want to pray for this group. Anybody listening, um, you know, live this week or later on or in the future, God, I want to pray that um, we see a change, we see a difference in our hearts, our minds, our bodies. God, that Your Holy Spirit comes into the ones praying this prayer and listen to this prayer, and that man, you you start to help us to pull the scales off our eyes and see see You, see that we are ambassadors of heaven, that we are been given a ministry of reconciliation that we we have a purpose and a place and a power that's greater than anything in this world and that's you I've got to ask you right now to come in our cars our headphones our kitchens wherever we're at listen to this our, our gyms you open our eyes to the people around us 
that there are real human beings to connect with and see and love on, that love you, that will love us, that we can love on. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See you guys next week.